Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831 that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at negative to positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Welcome back to Giant Size Heroes. It is number 24, which means we are almost at that sweet, sweet anniversary number. Next week, we are going to be doing a giant-sized, hour-long, regular Giant Size Heroes. Uh, we are also going to be doing a regular-sized Giant Size Heroes because Koi will, cross your fingers, if you are listening to this, be able to talk again. I'm so sorry I'm doing this to you, Koi, but I can't let you out of the podcast. For everyone listening today, uh, watch Movie Talk and watch Heroes from Tuesday, and you'll know that these sweet seat dulcet tones are not just your speaker's wrong. This is what I sound like today. Do not adjust your set. Uh, Koi's just going to be kind of gravelly and I'm going to make it worse because I got to know what you think about things. I could let you go home and rest, but I'm a monster. I'm going to really regret these words if you get sicker and After I just, this conversation. I'm doing my episode of comic book shopping. I'm just like, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> who's someone with a really gravelly? I can't even think of someone like Rip Torn. <laughs> who else has a really gravelly voice? That uh, incredible actor. Yes. <laughs> yeah, from Birdcage, right? Mm. Yes, that's it. That's I'm I'm embodying that flavor today. Perfection. All right. So speaking of flavor, we have a lot of uh, delicious flavor coming your way to bring back uh, our much missed phrase. Uh, we got this week <laughs> the epic Twitter thread and three hour trailer. I have not watched it because. Has anyone watched it? Three hours it? isn't a trailer by definition. <laughs> I, I get that it's a trailer, but if your trailer is longer than Lord of the Rings. If you work in post-production for some arm of Disney uh, and you were preparing the Disney Plus trailer and you had to do quality assurance on a three-hour trailer, please call into the show. We don't know how to do that, but we'll figure it out. Uh, come visit us and tell us what that was like. Please. What is your world? Who assembled the three our trailer for Disney Plus. Uh, They're probably down the street. They're probably in Burbank. I mean, we, we, we could might probably know them. find them. They yeah, we might even know them. can't tell us who they are, but if you are, just tell us. Tell us. Send us uh, a coded message about <laughs> Saga. Well, that would, I mean, we might just think they everyone love saga we as talk much to. As they, yeah, yeah, that's kind of our brand. <laughs> Send us a coded message about Dylan Dog. There we go. Right? There we it's, go. It's topical, but also not common. <laughs> uh, yeah, so please communicate via a series of. 
flag signals and or Dylan Dog references, what it was like to assemble a three-hour trailer. Coy, what'd you think? Disney uh, Plus day one content. Not going to lie, the rumors were true. And that is a positive <laughs> because Man O' Man is Spider-Man and X-Men, the animated series on yeah. here. Man yeah, O' Man yeah, yeah. is Spider-Man. It's amazing. Friends on here. Uh, you guys, November 12th is D-Day because I'm not coming back out. <laughs> you may never see me again. It is just going to be me in my house wearing my Deadpool footies. Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, I'll be very happy. Don't worry about me. I'm doing just fine. Uh, <laughs> Thanksgiving's canceled. Actually, no. Thanks. It's just going to be me eating stuffing from November 12th through November 30th. There we go. Watching The long Disney Thanksgiving. Plus. Oh, that sounds amazing. The long Thanksgiving is us in our respective homes watching Disney Plus. Is 18 uh, days enough, though? Because it doesn't seem like it. It's a three-hour trailer. literally can't watch the first episodes of all of these. Okay. My favorite totally bizarre – I'll have a different answer for my favorite totally weird thing buried in the archives every day. But of currently course. my favorite is that – I don't think I knew about Kurt Russell's secret past as some kind of teeny bobber dream. Yeah, no, he's a Disney man. Yeah. When you watch back through the uh, the posters for the Kurt Russell movies, you can watch him become Kurt Russell. Because he was an actual studio guy. Like back in the day, like when <laughs> studios had actors, Kurt Russell was one of the studio guys. And like – he earned that hair. He got to that point. And so now to to replay his career with that knowledge that I did not have, <laughs> that it was just taking a real like Zac Efron chance on that guy when they turned him into the Kurt Russell we know and love. It's literally Zac Efron. I mean, everyone judges Zac Efron. Kurt Russell did it first. It's it's unbelievable. Because Zac Efron is now like a mountain man. <laughs> Zac Efron is right now probably in Alaska, sitting on top of a jeep, looking out at the wilderness with his beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> If you don't follow Zac Efron on Instagram, you are missing out. He is shredded. He is handsome. Coy he is wilderness boy. Coy is my source for charismatic, handsome Instagram boys. Uh, I, you you know got what, me following guys? The Rock. I'm just saying I follow the charismatic, handsome Instagram boys. And, you know, by Awareness Day was the other day. And frankly, <laughs> I should have spoken up sooner because Zac Efron's eyes tantalizing. <laughs> I don't know if you're joking, but I'm going to take it as serious because I, also me. We've never been in the same room. I don't know what I might do. <laughs> And frankly, his Instagram leads me to think some things. Uh, but my, my favorite thing of the Disney Plus announcement was the fact that there were so many movies that were remakes that people didn't realize were remakes. Mm-hmm. Like people didn't realize The Incredible Voyage happened way before Homeward Bound. Like mm-hmm. everyone that's so mad about reboots and remakes is like, guys, this isn't a new concept. Yeah. Like they haven't there just was a started Swiss remakes. Swiss Family Robinson before the 60s Swiss Family Robinson. Yeah. Like they, they've been making movies of movies since they started making movies. <laughs> So it's really funny when people are like, God, Terminator 17. I'm like, yeah, that's only because Terminator is a remake of something else. <laughs> this is kind of our thing. Um, and everything's just like either, you know, Campbell or Freud. Like it's all just from the same five stories. Yep. Uh, obviously also hugely excited about Gargoyles, 90s kid. Oh, man. It's a classic. Love that it's on there. And uh, on topic for our show – a bunch of superhero cartoons. So, so many. There are things missing, like the 60s Spider-Man's not there, but the Spider-Woman cartoon, which I have never seen and am very excited to probably be disappointed in, uh, is coming to Disney+. Plus. Spectacular Spider-Man's not in there. The, the, the MTV one. The 2000-something. Oh, Spider-Man Unlimited is, but not Spectacular right. Spider-Man. And I've never seen Spectacular Spider-Man. Okay, this is how sweet my mom is. This is a, a Koi's mom plug. Okay. Uh, she's on She's on Twitter. Thank her for this because she's an angel. My mom saw me posting about what shows were rumored on Disney+. Plus. My birthday is September 15th. She knew I'd already pre-ordered Disney+. Plus. She wanted to get me something that was going to be missing from Disney+. Plus. So she went through all of the shows that were coming – Double checked that Spectacular Spider Man wasn't on it, bought me the season, sent it to me for my birthday because she knew I wanted to have a complete Spider Man run. Cool. 
My mom is an. The reason I'm so nice is because my mom and dad are literal angels. That's incredible. Isn't that like the nicest thing? That's the best. I just I can't even like. If you guys think I'm nice, I'm an actual antichrist compared to my parents. <laughs> my mom had me at 16 on purpose, and I turned out okay. Uh, I had a teen mom, and then my dad. It, my my dad's not my bio dad. He adopted me at 18. My dad was an 18 year old single guy. Like I'm gonna take on this single mom and a child on purpose. Like my parents are angels. So oh, the reason I love so much, the reason I like most art, most comics, most movies and content is I shouldn't be a good person. So I'm just appreciative that I like anything because I'm, I'm I, angels raised me. Koi, I've met your parents and they are super dear. Uh, and this it is confirms everything. <laughs> Y'all, send some love to Koi's parents. Koi's amazing, amazing They're just parents. the best. So anyway, from Disney Plus to loving your parents, it's all canon. That's what Disney wants you to do. Love your family. Weirdly on topic, yes. See? I tangent it right back. Yeah. You thought I'd lost it. I didn't. <laughs> Hosting internet. What up, podcasts? <laughs> uh, yeah, can't wait for, like, the Gummy Bears movie. Uh, so many weird old favorites on this list. And uh, shout out, tweet us what your favorite weird thing from this list was. Oh, yeah. I want to um, play that game. I would game. really love to know. Uh, there is something just super overwhelming about the phrase, like, from Snow White to the Mandalorian. Like, my heart. Whoa. That's how they introed the Twitter thread. Uncomfortable. I, I, well, it's amazing. I mean, it's, no, no, it's great. I'm uncomfortable because of the scope of, yeah, I can't it's quantify like that. It's like the universe. Yeah, like, like when, you, when you start with those new cameras and, like, a person, then you zoom out and you're like, I don't like they can do that. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. what this feels like. <laughs> no, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. Please, more unsettling things. I'll see you at midnight. Why, how dare you? <laughs> Uh, so we also have – this is in the wild rumor phase. Um, I'm not even sure if this is real enough to report on, but it was very interesting. It has been suggested that the upcoming She-Hulk series for Disney Plus may feature some old friends uh, from the Marvel Hulk mythology in the form of Betty Ross and Thunderbolt Ross. Which, of course, are two incredible badass actors, William Hurt and Liv Tyler, who we would all be delighted, I think. I can just officially say that'd be so cool. I mean, her dad's canon. She can be canon. And Liv Tyler is lovely. So I'm not mad at any of that. Um, I mean, the Ed Norton movie's canon, so why not? If she's available (laughs) and willing, I would love to see more of what she's been up to for the last 10 years. (laughs) Granted, mostly, like, I'll be okay if this doesn't happen because it's a She-Hulk show. We have more than enough characters and supporting cast and people to explore with that. But, like, how cool would that be? All about it. Uh, So, speaking of how cool would that be, I I just went ahead and made a section called Crisis Files because this is going to be every week. I'm I'm reaching the point where I have mixed feelings of, like... I don't know how we get through this process. Like, there was no way to keep this stuff secret. There was no way they could prepare this crossover without us, like, noticing that all these actors traveling to Canada. And, like, there was no way they could pull that off. Uh, but Christian it is Bale's kind of... getting off a plane in Vancouver. <laughs> What's going on? I mean, it's – but, like, every bonkers announcement makes me more excited for Crisis on Infinite Earths. And the rumors make me so excited for Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I don't know what cool surprises they will possibly have left for us when it happens. But I trust that they will be there. And in the meantime, I'm going to run down the cool surprises from this week because they're very exciting. Uh, we have an official photo of Tom Cavanaugh as Pariah. Now, if you have read The 80s Crisis, you know that Pariah is a big deal. And also, if you have ever seen Flash, you know that Tom Cavanaugh is incredibly delightful uh, and has 10 different ways to break your heart at any given moment. So this should be fun. 
Can I also say that Tom Cavanaugh is one of the most mischievous people I've ever met in really? the best way? Tom, Tom like him as Pariah is just like, oh, good, we get to see that side because he's like, it's all amazingly fun. Like he's just like a dad joking, like, Mua. like they were they were doing coverage on a scene. Um, and well, coverage is when you uh, are doing. Extra angles on something. So they were doing coverage on a dialogue scene and he was playing with a red bouncy ball and throwing it across the other side. But that means that if anyone didn't catch it, it would just bounce so loudly down the hallway. So the cast would be like, Tom, but like he would be so impish in his smile and like he's puck. Basically is what I'm saying. He's puck and it's the best. Uh, so Tom Cavanaugh is like this incredible actor and then he goes right into work mode, like super focused, gives you 18 lines of dialogue perfectly and then he goes back to playing with the bouncy ball. Um, he's the best. So him as Pariah, I, I'm really excited to see his like mischievous side because mm. he's played mischief before but he hasn't played like Pariah level. Yeah, but the, the the sorrowful side of it, I'm not sure I'm ready for because he does have such uh, heartbreaker skills. Uh, so I'm just bracing myself is all. Uh, I am uh, bracing myself also for the too much excitement of this next one, which is that Chris Williams posted a picture of Black Lightning steering the Legends of Tomorrow's ship. Uh, and that's just awesome. One universe. It, it, it would have been so disappointing if they couldn't get Black Lightning in on this. Like, I approve of it being independent, but this is Crisis on Infinite Earths, y'all. Yeah, that means everything. Everything. <laughs> Everybody comes to this party. How many Earths? Infinite Earths. <laughs> Uh, and finally, in the Arrowverse stuff, uh, by the time this uh, drops, we will have had the premiere of the final season of Arrow on Tuesday night. We are preparing a big DC TV catch-up because all kinds of stuff has come at us over the last couple weeks, and we finally have all our premieres out of the way. So look forward to that next week. But uh, in the meantime, Mark Guggenheim had a really interesting quote about uh, the many seasons ago now on Arrow when they sort of had to write out their version of Suicide Squad as a request from other branches of the company. And that's something that I would imagine would not be a fun experience as a showrunner because mm-hmm. you would like to have freedom to use or not use whatever. But Mark Guggenheim had a very philosophical take on it. He says for him it was a glass half full scenario. Uh, it opened the door to all of the other stuff that they could do. And, you know, he was like, we get to do any of this because we're borrowing these characters. So I'm never going to be mad about their requests. We are borrowing these characters and we enjoy whatever we get to do with them. Uh, and maybe if the show had like gone off the rails and gotten canceled, I could maybe he'd be more mad about it. But I think he's sort of like we made the best of it and we love the show we have. We made eight years of great content because of this great gift. Thanks. Yeah. So it seems like that's working out OK. Um, and I thought that was just interesting uh, thoughts. I don't know if you had a chance to see that one. Corey. Uh, I had not seen that quote, but it, I it, added that one late. It lines up with everything I know of the man, so it uh, <laughs> makes me very happy. I also just – I love the cohesive nature of the executive level of DCTV because they all seem to be working very well together to make all these shows incredible. There's Don't not, know how they do it. It's a lot of hats. We talked on the show this week about Kevin Feige getting uh, – like wearing all the hats himself. And in this case, it's like a whole bunch of people doing different things all at once in full speed on seven different shows. And it's like how are you – how are you doing this? You know how are you I, making this work? I want to see – I want to see Kevin Feige sitting on a throne and I want to see him wearing a gauntlet that says like Marvel Studios, Marvel TV. I want to see him like – Coy, that is so ominous. Each gem is the different like things he wields and he wields all of them now as the Marvel creative executive. That's I wanna, horrifying. But it's beautiful. Why are you invoking like Doctor Doom imagery? Because, ooh, Doctor Doom even better but there's no <laughs> gems there. Doctor Doom with the gauntlet. No, but I, I think I, there's, there's something so powerful about the position Kevin Feige holds that I don't think anyone else has ever had this much power over <laughs> this big of an enterprise. Like 
this a every one of these movies makes four hundred million plus. Many make a billion plus, and they're like, you need more, and I want to see it. It is amazing. Uh, we are going to enjoy everything we get of it, uh, and you know, the committee to make Kevin Feige immortal begins now. I would love. I have nothing more than if we figured out our mortality in time for Kevin Feige to be the one that gets it. Because if you're I out there see and through. you're a vampire, hit us up. We uh, have someone that we need to keep around. <laughs> he's, he's very good. <laughs> I also I also imagine like much like the uh, the maker in in Reed Richards' current form is under that man's hat because he's so smart. Hopefully less evil, despite all of the clearly super villainous imagery Koi is bringing all up here. No one that smart is that. I mean, think about what I just paralleled. Everyone with that much power goes evil, except Kevin. He's the one example. He is the Reed Richards of our timeline. Thank you, Kevin Feige. Yep, I'm not worried at all. Everything is fine. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of everything is fine, I call this next one Everything is Comics because I like to spot out things that you might not realize were comics or fit into comic book news, but we're we're in your medias getting your adaptations. Uh, I thought this was really cool because I have had this recommended to me so many times and I have not jumped in yet, so shame on me for not uh, getting into this in time to be uh, an OG fan before the news that the Henson Company will be producing an animated series adaptation of the comic Lore Olympus, which is a riff on Greek myths, which means I should have read it years ago because I love that stuff so much. And y'all have told me that this comic is amazing and I have been missing out. It is on Webtoon, Line Webtoon, which is an unusual... uh, What's the one that's not horizontal? Vertical. Vertical. Thank you. Gotcha. Uh, Vertical format comics. This is a format that was popularized out of, I want to say, Korea. Mm. Um, For years now, it's been huge. Um, It's it's very easy screen reader format comics that you scroll down to Mm -hmm. reveal story. Um, And there's nothing inherent to – like there's nothing that – about the way we read comics in folded pamphlets that is necessary to what comics is. Comics is visual storytelling, sequential art storytelling, and we see it evolve and change. If you have four panels a day in a newspaper, you develop a certain kind of storytelling. Mm-hmm. If you have folded pamphlets, you develop a certain kind of storytelling. If you have what things that we call infinite canvas where there's no technical limits online, interesting things arise from that or people start innovating in that. And uh, Webtoons became a huge deal with – anyway, this is like – all background to the fact that there's one particular comic uh, that is getting an adaptation, which means people are starting to look at that area of the world, which is, despite the fact that I'm saying this as if no one has heard of it, it's huge. It is a huge area of comics with massive hit series in it. Um, and if this does well, I would not be very surprised if people didn't start looking around at some of the other webtoons out there um, and looking for their adaptation potential. And reaching into uh, classic comics, there is an Italian comic called Dylan Dog. I'm not super familiar with it, but I know that it is one of those, like, artists, artists, much loved by other areas of comics, huge abroad, uh, and not as well known here. But that might finally be changing because it is getting readapted, this time with the involvement of James Wan. So uh, you excited for either one of these, Coy? Uh, I've heard about Dylan Dog for years and never knew anything. And, like, the imagery is all very familiar. So, I mean, I love James Wan, uh, but I also love the Henson Company. So both of these are really exciting for different reasons. One of them I've never heard of, but I love Henson. The other one is I've seen Dylan Dog, never known what it was, plus James Wan. So um, we continue this great age of me discovering 
comics through the mediums that they're getting adapted into, which I dig. Like Deadly Class is is a book I love every month now that I discovered through the the show. So you I get to have the experience other people have of, of finding out like, hey, this Captain America guy, he's cool. Seems like it's a, fun. My kind of jam. It's it's been really nice to have the more obscure comics. Uh, not that Deadly Class was obscure. I just there's a lot of comics, but the more obscure books get adapted. It gives me new insight. So I, I'm stoked for both. All right. So in movie news. My uh, favorite. Th- these are my next two favorite stories this week. Oh, heck yeah. Okay. So first of all, we got an interesting story. Uh, are we doing full spoilers for Joker? It's it's now a week and a half out. It is. Okay. This next one is a story of a, a scene that was changed improv on set for Joker. So mute us for like a minute and a half if you haven't seen it yet. Coy. My favorite scene in the movie. The scene in which he has just – Killed with intent for the first time and he runs into the bathroom and then the most oh my god dance like I it, – it's so beautiful and it feels organic and painful and transformative and um, it's the first time I cried during the movie. Uh, I, I, Joker really affected me um, but like I cried multiple times my first viewing and this is the first time I started crying and I didn't know why. So it was a really cool experience for me to be like – like you know, in in, in uh, comedies, when someone's like, "My face is wet," and they don't know why, like that joke, like that happened to me. All of a sudden, I was like, "What is coming out of my eyes?" Um, this movie was a lot for me, and this scene was when I realized how much it was affecting me. So originally, the dance in the bathroom was a much more cliche. Every movie does this: looks in the mirror, "What have you done?" scene, but instead. It's a transformative moment between Arthur Fleck becoming the Joker told through dance and um, my girlfriend's a dancer and I don't get dance. I can't dance. I hear rhythm but I can't translate it. So it was a really cool moment for me to kind of understand her a little better. Hmm. So it made me see how she sees dance for the first time. It also made me see how you can interpret dance that way and like the, the free form of it all, all through a dark, dark, dark narrative. It kind of embodies how I felt about the whole movie that it made me feel things I haven't felt about a thing I didn't think I'd feel in a way that surprised me while being at an 11. And uh, the fact that it was originally a very cliche scene shows what the power of improv can do and why all of the rewrites weren't a bad thing. So this one scene was not only my favorite scene in the movie, but to find out it was the ultimate example of them like, nope, that's the way it's going to go. Rewrites are a good thing. Reshoots can be a good thing. Like this – I – this moment is really cool for me. That's fascinating. Uh, I love your description of dance's expression, like growing up as a dancer. That That's always been something that makes sense to me. Uh, this was a, an interesting story to read because there, as you point out, like there's a major difference in the, the original scene from the screenplay and the, the version we end up with. And they say very different things about the character. Uh, so it's interesting to have a specific example that confirms what they were talking about in terms of finding it on set. Um, and it, you know, some of the gestures in both direction from the movie do make it makes sense that some of those elements that felt like they were in conflict for me, they make sense when you read about this process. And it'll just be sort of up to the audience member whether that incongruity feeds the the wonderfully distorted sense of the movie or interferes with sort of the narrative um, in that way. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that was, it was a very interesting tidbit for sure. Uh, every wedding I try to dance and fail. Uh, like I don't – I'm very comfortable in front of people. I'm very comfortable on a mic. I love an audience. 
I can't dance to save my life. And it's really funny because that's the only time I'm really stage fright and the only time I feel uncomfortable in my own skin, really. Um, so it was really interesting to watch a movie where dancing was so beautiful to me in such a dark way. So it really affected my entire experience in the movie because I look at dance as such an abstract concept. So like, you know, you and Sheena both, like, it's very normal to you, very natural to you. But the last time I was at a wedding, someone had to describe it as like fighting without impact for me, for me to even be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Because like... I wasn't moving my hands, but if you describe it's like – It's so weird that you're a gym guy, that you un, like phys, have that relationship to physical movement and exertion. Anatomy and actually – There's technique and there's like that you love fights but you don't love dance. It, that's exactly it. Like it's, it's every single thing about my worldview usually has a cause and effect. I can rarely see the landing of dance. And that's what this movie did. Like that's what the scene especially did. When I look at dancing, when it's um, improv, I don't see how it – does anything because my brain just goes like that's pretty but i can't see this the the skill this to me was like oh oh and it was really cool to have my eyes open to something that i've wanted to understand it's like like um (laughs) quite crimes it's like when you're young and you drink booze and it tastes awful (laughs) and then when you're an adult and you drink the same booze and you're like i get it now that was that was the experience was like i was watching this and i was like I understand whiskey or like this is a good scotch. This is like I wished on a, a monkey's paw that Koi would be a huge musical fan with me. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I love musicals but when I watch them dance, I'm like, I don't get it. And this was a moment of like, but when it's about murder, like it was so – it was a really interesting experience as a film goer um, that like I only stand – I only understand dancing when it's like similar to fighting. OK. Like, now we have to let you get out of here eventually and I cannot skip this next story. I mean, come on. So uh, – I, I, please, Corey, take it away. Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> the man, the myth, the Wilson, was at Marvel Studios recently, took a photo, which, one, means he's doing well. Two, means they approved this photo. Three, means we're probably getting a Deadpool announcement soon. Unless, of course, it's Hannibal King coming back for Marshall Ali's Blade, which is unlikely. <laughs> or the Green Lantern crossover you've always dreamed of. Who knows? But, I mean, guys. Deadpool was at Marvel Studios and they took a photo of it, which means they wanted that out there. It wasn't a leak. It wasn't him sneaking in. It was a freaking press photo. So <laughs> I think Deadpool 3 is getting announced soon. I think he's early phase five. I think we got movement. And we've, we he's teased before. But this is a full-on photo. He wouldn't do that to us. He's too Canadian. Would he? He's too Canadian. I mean he's Lovely. Deadpool. If he was doing it to make fun of Hugh Jackman, maybe, because their feud is darling. I love their relationship. But since it was just at the fans, I feel like we're getting a Deadpool announcement soon. I am very happy on behalf of Corey for what I assume he is correct about. Uh, <laughs> um, it was very delightful. Uh, speaking of sequels, we got some very interesting news, uh, potentially, that they are filling out the cast of Venom 2. Um, my deep, deep Spidey fan, tell us, who is Shriek? Shriek is from Maximum Carnage, or where she became popular is Maximum Carnage. She, uh, cool enough, her powers actually hurt symbiotes because Sonics. So I've always liked her relationship with Carnage because she's one of the few things that can hurt him. And I've always thought that was a tiny bit of humanity in Carnage. Uh, Cletus Cassidy is a monster. He's one of the most evil characters in all of comics. But I always kind of liked that he had a soft spot for something that could hurt him. Um, a cynic could say that just makes him crazier. But to me, love is welcoming pain into your life because you know someone can hurt you in such a deep way, but you love them more than the pain hurts. So to me, it always showed like a side of Cletus that was still human um, because you don't welcome someone into your life with a knife uh, that it, it just like a breakup hurts more than anything. 
So to me, it was always kind of a, a relationship commentary, which I might be reading way too much into. But um, I love your take on this. <laughs> yeah, so Shriek to me was always like the most human thing because it was like welcoming and something that could hurt him on a personal and physical level. Vulnerability. Yeah, like she represents a rare vulnerability in an invulnerable character. So uh, I don't know if they'll do that. I don't know if that's how they see the character. But <laughs> Shriek is certainly fascinating because – Many write her as like she looks like a David Bowie reject. So like she could be done that way. But if you do her right, she's a really cool element. She could be really cool and a David Bowie. She could, oh, no. <laughs> David Bowie's awesome. Please be David Bowie looking but subtext. Um, amazing. So uh, just rapid fire through the rest of these because I have to let Corey rest despite my earlier protestations uh, that we demand his voice. I sound like Tom Waits. <laughs> Which is not a bad thing unless it kills you. Yeah. Uh, he does it on purpose. I know. <laughs> So we got a really great quote this week that just stuck out to me uh, because, look, I know that actors like to do their job and praise the things that they're involved with. But here's the thing. Not all praise is like you don't have to go out there and say things like in certain – you know, you can keep your compliments general if you want them to be general. And here's what I'm saying. If Ewan McGregor says that the film he's about to be in is very finely written, that is so exciting to me. And that is exactly what Ewan McGregor has said about the upcoming Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of Von Harley <laughs> Quinn, which is just fun to say. Uh, he said, what interested me with Birds of Prey is that it's a feminist film. It is very finely written. There is in the script a real look on misogyny, and I think we need that. We need to be more aware of how we behave with the opposite sex. We need to be taught to change, um, which is a general societal commentary, uh, but just really, really exciting to me because – Y'all know, being very finely written is the thing I could most want out of <laughs> most films. And Ewan McGregor doesn't got to say that. No. He's Ewan McGregor. He can show up and catch that paycheck and be like, love DC, bye. He also knows he's Ewan McGregor. He's, yeah. not, he's not an actor that's like, I'm an up and coming. Like, he's been Ewan McGregor for a while. So he knows <laughs> what a quote like that means for a film. Mm -hmm. So to me, I was like, oh, that's a hell of a stamp of approval. Train spotting is Ewan McGregor. Because that movie was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean – Come on. Look, I'm not saying every movie he's been in has been a masterpiece, but I'm just saying he's been in some masterpieces. He's for been in some sure. masterpieces, yeah. uh, and he's Ewan McGregor. I'm very excited. Uh, and he could have said a lot of general stuff, and uh, I like the specific stuff that he said, and I'm very excited. The fact that I, it, you know what, the problem right now I have with Ewan McGregor isn't even his fault. When Kathleen Kennedy introduced Obi Wan, and she had him backstage, mm -hmm. and we all knew Obi Wan was coming out. Instead of saying "Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope," she just said, "Bring to the stage, Ewan McGregor," and it's bothered me for weeks. <laughs> that was literally the only time that line could work in a live setting, and it would have been amazing. And I've been mad about it for a very long time. <laughs> so much so that when you say his name, I'm like, "What a missed opportunity!" <laughs> like it vexes me. Guys, podcast space is very it. dangerous. Maybe they're saving it for like other marketing stuff and they nixed her saying it in that context. Or maybe she said it in every rehearsal and they were like, Kathleen, stop <sighs> it. Stop. We get it. At some point you would like, okay, the joke's dead. <laughs> I just – it's vexed me. It's bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have a very sweet thank you from Todd Phillips to the fans for making Joker an outstanding success. 
I mean, half a billion dollars. Yeah. And it's very sweet. And he's he's been on a press tour that hasn't been consistently sweet. So it's been very nice to see a nice thing come out of Todd Phillips. Uh, and we got a statement that we haven't had much of a chance to cover on this show, although hopefully you all have been seeing various members of Marvel's uh, universe advocating for an all-female Marvel movie. And the latest to weigh in is Scarlett Johansson, uh, who is completely down whether or not she is in it since no one knows how that would work. Um, but she's like, I would want to see it would, would want in the moments between you know the scene on the battlefield and her, there's an hour in there <laughs> time oh. travel make it happen make it happen uh yeah obviously i have had mixed feelings about that concept over time because part of it for me has always been like just make it 50 50 like but the truth is that if you made an entire movie that happened to team those bunch of characters up there's really no reason you can't do that and it just means more screen time and meaty roles and interactions for them and we get to watch female friendships which is a thing i really love um i love watching friendships on film which mm-hmm. is part of what – it's part of what makes Cap and Tony so much fun to watch. It's part of what makes Hulk's relationship so fun to watch. Uh, like it, And I, I get – I crave that. Mm-hmm. I crave more of that. And honestly, as a side consequence of spotlighting that group of characters, you're going to get a bunch of really interesting interrelationships like that. So at some point I came down firmly on the side of, yeah, sure, let's do it. Are you reading the young, uh, the young adult uh, Harley Quinn line? The- um uh, the Breaking Glass book? Yeah. I haven't read it yet. It's so good uh, and the female relationships in it are so good that yay. like it makes me mad there's not more of that in the comic book space. Mm. Like it was so good I was like, I would like another of this please. Like when you eat something delicious, you're like, I would like more of this please. Um, and it, it's – read that book, audience, but also then read – the dark DC black label Harley because those are two of the most polarizing books I've read back to back and they're both incredible character studies of Harley that make me and appreciate. And you're talking right now about criminal sanity, right? Yeah. Because uh, we, we have a, a number of takes on Joker Harley True. going on even specifically in black label right now. There's a Harley sense going on. It's a lot. Um, but criminal sanity and breaking glass are two of my favorite Harley takes ever and they couldn't be more different and that's the strength of that character and they both have really great female relationships so check them out. And with any luck, Birds of Prey will soon join them and we will have yet another like that's one of the reasons I'm so excited for that movie despite it being a weird Birds of Prey lineup I want to see these people relate to each other Gail says yes I say yes Gail Simone is team Birds of Prey also Rosie Perez signed up for this we're all got to find out what this is plus Margot Robbie's a fan of Hector Navarro so I'm a fan of her even (laughs) more Uh, all right how much time do we have? Uh, we should just quickly say the Gary Glitter thing because that's really cool. Okay. Um, uh, the scene that you had we had, we talked about it off air. We did. We talked about it off air. There is a scene in Joker that I liked a lot, the one where he comes down the stairs. But one thing that made me feel conflicted is that uh, the creator of the song used in that scene uh, has some real-world facts about him that are uh, unpleasant. And no, he is a can. Convicted sexual predator. Uh, so Real bad guy, real in prison, real problematic, but that song doesn't give him a dollar. Apparently, this use of the song, because the rights are held by a different organization or his label or something like that, no royalties are in fact going to Gary Glitter. One of the only times that we will be like, I'm so glad the I just, artist is not involved in this. I wanted to give credit to the fact that this, this article came out and I wanted to also shine a light on the fact that – 
being a monster shouldn't pay. So I really like the fact that they made a statement about him not getting a dollar because I know there was a lot of people that were very upset at Todd Phillips and, and filmmakers and, and it's it's very slippery a slope to, to say someone knew something intentionally. But I, I hope – I don't know Todd Phillips. I hope he made sure that was the case and I feel like that must have been a conversation. So I'm really glad that that scene – because that song works incredibly in the scene. I'm really glad that that song can exist without the person who is an evil person benefiting. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, life is complicated. But this was an uh, an interesting fact that uh, I think I wrote uh, small but cool, depressing real life facts warning on this uh, this story. <laughs> There's a bunch of parentheses, but I wanted to say it because I think it's important. Yep. Uh, fun. Uh, Small but funny real life fact. <laughs> Speaking of getting some answers, uh, people <laughs> – I just love people. It's just someone now has asked Gwyneth Paltrow about not knowing which Marvel movie she's in. And her answer was just basically like, I'm sorry. I get very busy and I haven't seen all of them. Uh, and it's, you know – it's she's, very funny. It's very funny. Because it happens more than it should. But like she's also Gwyneth Paltrow, so it makes it more iconic because of Gwyneth Paltrow being – it's just – it's a lot. And it's only a couple examples, but they are very funny examples and it is hilarious. I, I enjoy the continued saga of Gwyneth Paltrow going like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I hope it continues. Yeah. I, hope, I hope it doesn't. I, like at some point, is it a bit, you know, like uh, – If it turns into a self-perpetuating meme that she knows, even better. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, final fun random thing, which is probably like, okay, final fun random thing. Uh, if you have not seen it, whether you know, however you felt about Joker, you should all sit down immediately and watch the Saturday Night Live David Harbour Sesame Street Oscar the Grouch. It's impeccable. It's so good. It is every frame is art and it's very funny. And I, yes, please. Uh, and then I was going to wrap it early, but I'm not going to skip this because we got the bestseller list is back and the first one for comics is officially out. Um, and I'm going to run down. They only do this monthly. So welcome to a new feature that uh, we are just declaring on Giant Size <laughs> where we run down the New York Times bestsellers, graphic novels and manga. Uh, number one, any guesses, anyone who's been listening to this show, what's the number one? We got some House of X first issue. Is that Did I read this wrong? Uh, those were the notes for the next thing. The, the oh, I read this wrong, <laughs> clicking on the link with my thumbs. <laughs> First one is Guts, which yep. has been selling forever, and it's that amazing artist that, frankly, I hadn't heard of, and then Amy told me I was old because everyone else has. No, I didn't say you were old. <laughs> no, she's very, very, very popular. We're it's, both very old. It's, it's, it, was a, it was a moment of me being like, oh, the generation gap's over there, huh? <laughs> and on the other side of it is the kids who are uh, all about Raina Telgemeier. Uh, Artist of Guts. So number two, we have another young adult. Like this, this list is fascinating just for its look at what people are actually out there buying. Uh, Best Friends by Shannon Hale, which is from a series of middle grade graphic novels. Number three. The Umbrella Academy. That's right. Gerard Way and Gabrielle Bach. Oh, I love Umbrella Academy. Yeah. Happy. Very excited that the third volume of Umbrella Academy, uh, obviously bolstered in part by the wider awareness because of the wonderful show, uh, made the bestseller list as the top not aimed at kids uh, exactly um, graphic novel pick this week, followed by a really interesting real life one we have not talked about yet, but is in one of my favorite uh, like they're, they call them reality-based works is the awkward name of the category at the Eisners, but it's one of my favorites every year because some of my very favorite book comics are memoirs. And this one is called They Called Us Enemy. It is by George Takei with Justin Isinger and Steve, Stephen Scott, illustrated by Harmony Becker. Uh, it is from Top Shelf, and it is 
uh, Takei's firsthand experiences while imprisoned in a Japanese-American internment camp during World War II. These are the kinds of stories uh, that, when they get told in comics, can have huge impact uh, across the generations. Obviously, some of my very favorites like Mouse and Persepolis are in this category. They tell real-world stories with art and sensitivity, and uh, I have not read this one yet, but I'm very excited that one's up there. And then surprise, surprise, Raina Telgemeier is <laughs> back to spite me because I have to read all of her work because I feel out of touch You're going to love it. Uh, you really are going to love it. It's good. Um, so the next one, actually, and I'm not sure why this is on the list now, other than just people wanting to learn about the world around them, Persepolis, uh, which has been out for many years, got an animated adaptation that I think won con the year it came mm-hmm. out. Like, uh, Marjan Satrapi's Persepolis is the next on the list. Uh, and then we got Smile by Raina Telgemeier. <laughs> this is not a bit. This is real. <laughs> Number seven, Raina Telgemeier. Yep. Number five, Raina Telgemeier. Number one, Raina Telgemeier. Number eight is Pumpkinheads by Rainbow Roll, who is a YA phenomenon, also writing Marvel's Runaways right now, the comics, uh, illustrated by Faith Erin Hicks from First Second, who's been a really interesting publisher of a bunch of this stuff. We've paced this very well because two of my faves, Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo with Batman Damned. I'm a huge fan <laughs> of Batman Damned. So the it's collected edition of Batman Damned is out. Excellent book and probably censored less bad dick. <laughs> So, yeah, a wide swing right back to the all-ages stuff for Ben Hatke from First Second. Mighty Jack and Zeta the Space Girl. That is a crossover between two different cool all-ages franchises. There's so much good stuff going on there. Amy doesn't have a dirty mind like I do, or I wouldn't have said wide swing after talking about Bat Dick. But number 11 good is The point. Batman Who Laughs by Scott Snyder, friend of the show, and Jock. Uh, awesome to see this one on the list. It's such a fab- fabulous mixed bag. I'm going to make you read. What's the next one, Corey? Number 12 is, I believe, uh, Sisters by, oh, is that it? Oh, it is Raina Telgemeier. She's back. She <laughs> She's is all in the- up in this list. And these books are years old, but they just don't stop selling. Or because she has a new one out, they're selling again. There's another one that is new to me that I'm very excited to see, uh, which is one of my favorite parts about bestseller lists. Is like, oh, I missed this one. New Kid by Jerry Craft. And uh, then seventh grader. one of my favorite franchises. We got <laughs> Dragon Ball Super Volume 6 by Akira Toriyami. You're goddamn right Dragon Ball's on here. Toriyama from Viz Media. Oh, is that how you say um, it? Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Uh, and so th- I love that that is on this list because it is a graphic novel and manga list. And I'm sure there will be some months where it's going to be like eight manga things and like one Batman and one indie. And um, somehow they're still by Raina Telgemeier. She's doing manga now <laughs> just to spite me because I didn't know her. And finally at number 15, and I thought this was very interesting because this has also, I think, been out for some time. But Chris Ware, an indie uh, juggernaut, but not particularly prolific. He works very hard on his beautiful, beautiful, perfect comics and they take a while to come out. But Rusty Brown from Chris Ware in Pan- by Pantheon is coming in at number 15. So that is a, a look at the wide world of comics, which is, you know, only 50% Raina Telgemeier. <laughs> Killing it, guys. <laughs> um, so I'm sure if she would just make more books, she could have the whole list. But uh, very happy to have the New York Times bestseller list back. It's amazing. Because all those people deserve to get to shout to the heavens that they are New York Times bestsellers. Uh, and yes, next time we will get into Hawks and Pox, which I have queued up for our next I was conversation like, topic. What a coincidence. <laughs> Number one is the book we're talking about. What a crazy kismet. That one, the, graphic, the collected edition of those books will be out in December. So in January, if we get to still it have will. this feature, we'll, we'll see where It'll that lands on this list. Uh, quickly, our poll list was on this Tuesday show. We don't have a lot of time to dive in, but Something is Killing the Children, number two. Absolute Carnage, number four. Superman Smashes the Clan, number one. X-Men, number one. I 
have the Bagley variant on there. And our friends have a comic. Yeah. And it's Critical Role Volume 1 Box Machina Origins. Yeah. Box Machina. Uh, so you want to get all your hands on all of those. Tweet us your faves. If they didn't make the list, uh, tweet us whatever you're reading. We have some wonderful Twitter questions, including I'll just go ahead and jump to the sweaty question of the week, which is... I added this late, too. Ha ha. Oh, oh. Actually, I, I was aiming at the other one. Uh, oh, no, that's well? way too much for yeah, the time no, we that can't. we have. We can't. <laughs> the one right before that is from Tyler <laughs> Hamilton at Tyler Hamilton twenty four, who said, "Coworker said he likes the concept of comics, but never found one he liked. Recommended Saga last week, and he already read every volume." That's right. Thank you, Hashtag Tyler. Collider Heroes. Amazing. Keep them coming. Thank you so much to everyone who's taken a chance on some comics, who's listening to our show. I'm so sorry I did this to you, Koi. Please rest. Rest your voice. I will rest. Uh, <laughs> tweet your get wells at Koi, and we will see you next time. And until then, stay, stay sweaty. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash, like a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP, but don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 